Welcome to Core Lords. Deadly here, Hi. fresh from the sopping wet stank of splendour in the mud, where it has to be said the swelling army were out in all their glory, not whinging, not whining, not complaining about the weather, but having a fucking beauty. Knee deep in the sludge, with side servings of Lysergic, ripping in like the wild units they are. And mate, I saw them everywhere. I saw them at Amel in the Sniffers, saw you at Ruby Fields, saw you at our Grinners, saw you at Genesis Wasu, saw you deep in the hypnotoad vortex of the TP forest. And for those in the know, like your boy Smivy, we also saw you in the outer realm train tunnel party bush doof to end them all. Anyway, it's fitting that our guest for Core Lords today is no stranger to the seething energy of face-melting, get-rooted monster rock and roll shows. For 23 years, Chris Shifty Shiftlet has been the lead guitarist for global rock and roll phenomenon, the Foo Fighters. Yep, the Fooies. And in this chat, you're going to hear a little bit about that and uh, even growing up in Santa Barbara, Corlord, California's surf town, home to Tom Curran, Bobby Martinez and Channel Island Surfboards. Al and Britt Merrick cop a bit of that. Yeah, but Shifty is a mad surf fiend. He counts Jack McCoy, Kirby Round, and Dean Morrison as mates. He's interviewed Connor Coffin and Jamie Brissick, as well as other surfers, for his excellent podcast, Walking the Floor, which you have got to check out. Over 200 episodes, boxes, UFC fighters, musos. It's just bullshit how many epic crew he's got on there. Well worth a look. I first met Shifty at Bungan Beach. He came down one day with Hans Hagen for a surf with Aussie Wright. And um, fuck, he put it in. Good, stylish, natural footer, well-timed off the top. Heck, his little carve down the three buckets. Fucking oath, yeah. He knows how to fucking put it in all right. And uh, I remember the day because I fucking did a pretty mental fucking air or floater on me last wave. I don't know why that sticks in my brain, but it just does, mate. That's how fucking surfing works. But anyway, I've kept in touch with Shifty over the years, and with the release of his latest solo project, it's actually out today. Long, long year. Check it out, Spotify, uh, Shifty's website, wherever you want to check it. But I thought it might be fun to have a catch-up and just a rambling old chit-chat with him. Obviously, the Foo Fighters and their fans have been pretty distraught lately um, with the death of Taylor Hawkins, the drummer, And we do touch on that a little bit, but mostly this chat is about Shifty's journey. He's a lovely guy, one hell of a guitarist, and a swellian, madman core lord of the highest order. Please enjoy Core Lords with Chris Shiftlet. And get his song, Long Long Year, out today, right now. Feed it. Welcome to the swellian, Shifty. And uh, I guess the obvious place to start here, mate, is... How's your corn? Is it rinsed? Is it sparkling? Have you been getting that thing dragged down the face of a few monsters? Oh, boy. How's my corn? Um, well, my corn's pretty good. My corn's pretty good. We got, we got a bunch of swell last week up here in, um, in Southern California, and it was great. And I got my, uh, I got my corn rinsed many times uh, all week long. Uh, so I can't complain. Mate, if you're getting your corn rinsed, there is absolutely nothing to complain about. I reckon uh, it's been a good season over here. How's it been out there this summer? I mean, it's not famous, California, it's for... It's terrible. Yeah? It's been, the surf has been really pretty bad most of the summer, and that was like the first real like summer swell that I think we've gotten all summer. Um, 
So it was good. I was uh, I was happy to be home and be able to get out there with thousands and thousands of my closest friends standing shoulder to shoulder in the lineup, and um, you know got dropped in on eight thousand times and back paddled and managed to burn a few dudes myself. So uh, <laughs> it all balanced out. Man, SB, you're like uh, still living up there. No, we don't live up here full time. My wife and I are both from Santa Barbara. Um, we live in LA. We um, we're kind of locked into LA for at least a few more years because we wound up uh, raising our kids there, and so they're all kind of locked into life down in LA. And someday we'll we'll be back up here full time. I'm I'm in Santa Barbara right now, but and it's beautiful. And like every time I'm here, I'm like. Why am I going back to LA? Yeah, where do you surf when you're down um, that neck of the woods? Where in, in Santa Barbara? No, in um, LA. If, you, if you're gonna go for a wave, like oh. are you just going to the boo yeah. or dealing with all that nightmare? Or? Yeah, I live on the west side of LA, so I, I wind up surfing like you know. I surfed Third Point a fair amount. I surfed Third Point all last week. Um, it's funny. I it's I kind of go through phases, you know. Like like the swell was so good last week. You kind of that's kind of the place to be, but. Um, more often than not, I skip it just because, you know, it's just crowded. Um, and it's just hard to, you kind of have to be in the right mindset to be out there. And, and most of the time, I'm not in that mindset of, of wanting to scrap it out with all, all so many people. So there's some other spots. You know, we'll serve Zuma. There's a, my buddy has a place way up, like almost to zeros that we surfed. It's pretty quiet and there's never really people down there. So we'll go mm. there. Um, and then, you know, we, we do wind up spending a lot of time up here, so I'll surf in Ventura and go to Emma Wood or uh, Ventura Harbor or whatever. And, and then if you're in the wintertime, you know, Rincon and, and Hammond yeah. and all that is the best. What's the, uh, just, I don't want to stick on LA too much, but what's the surf, like, culture like and the, and the vibe in the water at these little breaks? Like, does it have all the typical sort of tropes that these, that every wave has, like heavy locals and a bit of a scene and all that sort of shit? Like, are you dealing with people? Well, okay. So, to put it in perspective, I was out there this morning with a buddy of mine that lives in Del Mar. Right? Mm. And he commented to me at one point, and we're out there, we're out there at third point, and it's not big. It's like two, three foot, maybe. You know, it's just kind of, there's waves coming through, but it's not like cranking or anything. And it's crowded. And at one point, he said to me, he goes, this is like worse than trestles. <laughs> this is like the way that everybody's just back paddling everybody else and dropping out. He's like, this is worse than trestles. I was like, really? I mean, I never surfed. I don't think I've ever surfed trestles. But um, so I thought that was kind of surprising. Yeah, but, man. I, we've got this theory. We've got this theory. Like the the more shit the surf, the more shit the local, usually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's places I think like Surf Rider and Rincon and all the really crowded breaks. Like, yes, there are locals, but there's such transient spots and they're so busy mm. that I don't think it's like, I don't think you really experience that, like, the way that maybe it would have been, you know, at like Silver Strand or something yeah. 20 years ago. Like, it's not that kind of thing. You're not getting, like, beat up on the beach and your fins kicked out of your board or any of that stuff. It's just, there's some grumpy dudes. Yeah. Yeah, well, mate, take us back to like Santa Barbara when you were grown, because I want to. Uh, what, what sort of year uh, were you sort of starting to to get into surfing, and and who was around? I mean, it's just such a famous surf town. Channel Islands, obviously, from there. Currents from there, 
And then, like, down the line, Bobby Martinez, Connor Coffin, Lakey Peterson. It's like a chorus line yeah. of just fucking legends who come out of the joint. Uh, not to mention Alan Britt, uh, America, of course. But, yeah, give us a bit of a rundown of sort of your introduction to surfing and, and how old you were and who got you out there and stuff. Well, it's funny, man. I really didn't start surfing till more like in my 20s when I was, like, long gone out of Santa Barbara. Wow. Yeah, okay. I, I, like... I was a total beach kid. I was at the beach all the time. I body surfed. I boogie boarded. Like, I look back on those years. And it's funny, too, because, like, all my friends, like, none of them really, my close friends, none of them really surfed either, like, through high school and stuff, when, like, you would think that would have been the time that that you would naturally have have sort of been drawn to it. But I think in those days, like, we're talking about the 80s, you know, Mm. and and, um, as much as, I like, I can look back now and go, like, God, you know, fuck, I could have been, like, watching Tom Curran at Hammonds my whole childhood or whatever. Mm. But, like, in my mind growing up, I was, like, a heavy metal fucking glam rock kid or whatever, like, more in that world where I, like, surfers to me in those days were, like, I looked at them as, like, kind of almost like jocks or something. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it was a jockey and, era, that, and, the 80s. And I wasn't really part of that. And yeah. then I didn't really, but I was always kind of, like, I love the beach and everything, and, and I was always, I watched that movie Big Wednesday when I was a kid and, and loved it and was a little bit obsessed with that, so I was kind of drawn to it, but I don't know why. I Honestly, I remember some of my friends that did surf, and I'm like, dude, here's a board, just go try it, paddle out, and I was like, nah, I'm cool. Mm. I kind of kick myself about that now, but but um, but um, it wasn't really until more like the mid-90s when, um, when I was playing in a band up north and the drummer in the band I was in a band called No Use for a Name mm. and the drummer in that band Rory surfed and they lived down in San Jose and he took me over to surf in Santa Cruz once or twice and um, and that was sort of the beginning of it for me mm. Did you do much surfing in uh, sort of San Fran? Because that's fuck that's a raw joint to learn to surf man that's like open ocean and freezing cold Mavs just down the road you know, That's where I bought my first surfboard because I was living in San bought a board like a used longboard out in um out in the sunset at some surf shop and my buddy chris from Lagwagon, chris rest mm-hmm. um took me surfing down in pacifica once or twice and it was so fucking cold that i was like oh, fuck this <laughs> this, is, this is not yeah. this is not what i had in mind so uh, what happened was I moved to New York and I left my surfboard at my brother's apartment down in LA. And then, and around that time was when I joined Foo Fighters. And so we would be in LA a lot, you know, if we were rehearsing or doing stuff. So I wound up, uh, even though I was living in, in New York, I wound up being in, in LA a lot. So when I would be in town, I'd go grab my board and go to like take it, just go try to learn how to surf, you know? So that's really, that was like, um, I probably started surfing more down in Southern California than, than certainly up north. Up north, even like, I always trip out on that when I go, like when I drive by Ocean Beach or something up there, you look at like the surf crew up there and they look like these like stout, gnarly pirate dudes. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little more, uh, uh, I like the warmer climates. It's no use for a name is a pretty classic Cali punk sounding band. Like, you know, like the, the, it's definitely in that sort of, um, that era that, that all of that noise was really had that, like, you know, fucking set sound, I guess the Taylor Steele kind of, uh, vibes. Like, were you, 
Were you tapping into that when you were in that band that that, that sound was actually going fucking ballistic and was sort of like spreading all over the world, especially through surf centers and stuff? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Like like all those um, all those those uh, surf movies. You know, surf movies, skate movies, snowboard movies, they all used a lot of that music in it, and that would really, really help that scene a lot. Mm. That was like those, those two worlds coming together um, made a big impact. I mean, like, you know, you'd, oh, you, we always did better in places on the coast. Yeah, for sure. And were you got, getting sure. roped, roped yeah, into uh, yeah. warp tours and all that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah, we were on the first warp tour. Yeah. Yeah, we did the we did the very first one, and then I think we did it again in '98, and we did some of the European warp tour. I never got to tour Australia with No Use for a Name. I didn't get down to Australia until I was in Foo Fighters, and I remember the first you know time I went down there, I was like so blown away that like bands like No Effects and and um, Pennywise and stuff were so big down there. Like mm. that that theme was way bigger there than it probably even was in the states. I think. Yeah, well, fuck, man. I mean, that, that surf culture, skate culture, that 90s, like, I guess it was, wasn't quite extreme sports or anything yet, but it was definitely that. That whole surf-skate thing was just going so ballistic. That yeah. California sound was just fucking enormous, man. I reckon, I reckon that's, like, pretty much why so many people started playing guitars. <laughs> just because they wanted to, like, oh, have sure. that, that Taylor Steele soundtrack sort of just constantly going in their heads and that. But... Like, you must have come into contact uh, around those times with so many different athletes and, sur- like, you know, those types of surfers, skaters, etc. And were you, were you still just not kind of tapping into that yet or were you uh, starting to sort of feel it as you as No Use for a Name was getting around? Well, like, when we did the first warp Tour, um, the first warp Tour had a bunch of pro skaters out there. Yeah. And by that time, like... I mean, I skated, like, when I was, like, in junior high and early in high school, but I hadn't, like, really paid attention to it for a very long time. And, like, you know, it had obviously evolved considerably from, like, you know, the last time I bought a skateboard was probably, like, 1986 or something. It was, like, a big deck with Powell 3s, and, like, you had the the skid plate on the back and the little nose guard. Oh, yeah, man. Real plastic things. You know, it was, like, that era of skateboarding. So by the mid-'90s, when it was all little popsicle stick boards and people were doing crazy shit, like... Um, I was definitely not in that world, but we were, it was all kind of jammed together, you know, with, with punk rock and all that stuff. So I remember there's a couple, um, there were actually a couple Australian kids that, that were on our bus. Like our bus was our band and a couple guys that we were touring with. And then that band L7 and their crew. And then we had these two Australian inline skaters. They just like slept in the in the nooks and crannies, like you know, on that bus. There was like a million bunks on it, but I remember they would just like fill every space with people. I I, I don't think I ever talked to either of those kids again, but they were like young and and um, and you know just going for it. But um, I remember like no offense to the inline skating community, but I remember thinking like, why don't they just call those rollerblades? Why don't they just rollerblades? <laughs> Are they trying to rebrand the roller bre- rollerblade to be cooler? I don't know. So, all right. So you start surfing late. Like, you, you're getting into it sort of what? Mid-20s, did you say? Yeah. Yeah, right around there. When I moved back to California um, after New York, we moved back to, my wife and I moved back to Southern California. And, and then I just dove in, you know? Um, it was, I finally had, like, access and a little time on my hands. Yeah. To just go, you know, surf a bunch. 
So, like, being you, you've been in these bands that are doing sort of warp tours and, and, and enjoying, like, some pretty good success, but then you just, you know, with the Foo Fighters, it goes to a whole other level. But, like, as a surfer, those sorts of bands, like, fuck, man, doors just swing open to just mental experiences all over the place. So I'm assuming that, like, being a surfer and being in a band like that just, it gets you into, I don't know, access to waves and opportunities that you must have been pinching yourself about. Well, that's, I mean, that's like really the beauty of coming down to Australia when we tour down there, because, you know, as you probably know, like our tour schedule down there is like, you wind up playing a show every like three or four days or something. It's like not, it's really laid back. You know what I mean? It's like, like the distance between cities and everything to break down the stage and truck it all there and set it all back up. You wind up having it like two or three days off in in Mm. every city. So when you're in like... Perth or Sydney or, you know, up by the Gold Coast or, you know, down in Melbourne or, like, for me, it just turns into a surf trip. Yeah. You know, the, the, like, surf trip and every few days you play a big crazy gig, you know? Um, so that's been amazing. I mean, I've, I've really made, like, like gotten to know a lot of people down there over the years just through that. And, yeah, like, through the band, it's, it, it's great because, you know, how else would you have, like, you know, I w- without that, I probably wouldn't have gotten to be friends with Jack McCoy and yeah. you and, you know, all the different people, you know, got to go surf with, with uh, Dean Morrison and, you know, all these crazy people and, like, Kirby Brown, like, it's just all these, you know, it's just rad. Like, you get to go see all these people who you've been watching, you know, their the clips of them and photos of them and their movies, all this stuff for all these years, and then and you get to go kind of get to know them and, Go surf their local spot, and it's it's great. Fuck, man. I was just laughing at the idea of Kirby, like, grabbing you and going, hey, come for a wave, Shifty. We'll go and surf this fucking mutant slab that breaks 50 foot in 0% of water. <laughs> it's like, no, thanks, brother. Brad, it, he, he didn't make me do that, thankfully, because yeah. I probably would have been killed. But, uh, no, he, I went with him and a bunch of dudes out to, um, out to Rottenest Island one time a few years ago. And, uh, and the waves were pretty small that day. It was pretty cruisy, but we had a great trip out there. And like one of the guys on the boat jumped over and caught a bunch of lobsters and we just like cooked lobster on the boat and like, you know, surf some fun waves and just like, you know, just experiences like that. Yeah. It's, it, it's definitely like, uh, makes it the best place in the world to tour pretty much. But it's a cool thing is, you know, surfing obviously is such a global sport and global like obsession for people that like i've surfed in japan i've surfed in france i've surfed in brazil and mexico and like all you know like as long as you're on a coast if you're touring you can almost always connect with some people and and go find you know the local beach and go enjoy it for sure man is is there like an experience uh though that that tripped you out i don't know if it might have been surfing slater's wave pool for the first time or or something where you were just going, fuck, how good is it being a surfer in this band? Because, like, you know, obviously it connects with, <laughs> the music connects with everyone globally, uh, whether you surf or not. But, yeah, I just, I love the idea of you just getting to turn up and, and people like, I don't know, John John paddling out at Second Reef Pipe and just calling people off waves for you and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> has, has there been anything like that where you've just gone, no, fucking way, this is sick. Dave had to fly home 
in the middle of this tour and he was going to be gone for like four days or something. And so it wasn't long enough for everyone to fly home, you know? So we all just stayed over there and everyone just kind of went and kicked around for a few days. And I went down um, to Hasagar and surfed for a few days down there and just caught it perfect. Mm. And had like the most amazing, it was just one of those incredible little experiences, you know, where you just, you just go jump on a plane and, and you know, one minute you're playing some crazy festival in England and the next minute you're in these beautiful, perfect waves in France for a few days. And then, you know, you jump back on a plane and you're playing some crazy festival in wherever the next Germany or whatever the next thing was, you know what I mean? It was just this little diversion. And that one always sticks out. It's like, God, you know, because you know, it's too like, you know, we're not planning our travel around swell. So sometimes you're in a beautiful place where there's great waves and there's just no swell. You know, that happens all the time too. But, um, mm. that was one of those trips that just lined up. It just, it was just magic. Yeah. Fuck, right. They're, they're the trips. The ones that just sneak up on you and just, you score like, fuck, you remember them forever. Yeah. Man, you mentioned yeah. Jack McCoy, like far out, the absolute master, legendary beyond words. Uh, he's, had a few Foo Fighter songs on his films over the years, and um, yeah. he's also appeared on your podcast, Walking the Floor, yeah. which is um, awesome. But like, what was the connection there for you two? How come you got on so good? Um, well, I feel like I met him through our promoter down there. It was years ago. Um, you know, Jack's just a—he's just a such a warm, just unbelievably kind person. Um, and every time I'm down there, uh, we connect and then go hang out and give you the big hug or do whatever. And the big Jack McCoy hug where he comes in and he makes sure your heart presses against his heart and he pulls it right in. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Heart to heart. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, we actually, you know, all the years of touring down there, I, my wife and kids had never come down there with me because, um, you know, just, we were always kind of like, I don't know if the kids can handle that plane ride. It's so long and. Finally, I don't remember when it was. It was a few years ago now. We, we finally did like a, we went on a big family trip down there and spent a couple of days in Sydney and then went up and spent like five days or so in um, in Avalon. And we were there over Christmas. And so we had Christmas with the McCoys. Mm. And it was just fantastic. We had such a good time. And my family loved it like as much as I love it. And, you know, because I've been raving about it for years and um and so you're kind of like a little nervous like that i hope i hope they dig it as much as we as i do but uh it just was absolutely beautiful and such a trip to be somewhere in the middle of summer and celebrating christmas and um it was one of the best christmases i think we ever had oh man it was really good you know that um obviously you'd know that jack's wife is one of the leading experts in colonoscopy so uh did you get up on the on the table and uh, did they give you a, a, a free corn rinse for Christmas? <laughs> no, no, missed out on that. But you know, I, I did just uh, turn fifty one, so I'm I'm good for now. I think I <laughs> clear, uh, clean bill of health. Um, but you know, depending on when we get down there to tour again, it could work out. Yeah, man. Look, uh, I, I reckon uh, just just on the podcast, fuck, it is good. Like, you've got so many sick guests on there. Fucking, like, I'll try and think of a couple off the top of my head. There's, like, Manny Pacquiao's been on there with you. Lucinda yeah. Williams, Jackson yeah. Brown, George Combosis Jr. Was, it's mad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Combosis Jr., yeah. Yeah, he was great. I got to interview him right after the TFMO Lopez fight when he, when he – 
total massive upset victory. Yep. Um, and it was great. He was he was really fun. And then the Pacquiao uh, interview was nuts, man. That was that was the wildest thing I think I've ever seen. I've never in all my years seen um, a sort of celebrity entourage situation the way the way. Have, have you ever, did you ever watch any of those um, HBO twenty four sevens that they did on him? It was just like that, dude. There were more people in his house than I've ever seen at anybody's house ever, and they all worked for him. It was wild, man. It was it was really intense. Mm. Yeah, he's a radical yeah, dude. In the interview, there was literally a crowd of people around us, like filming it with their iPhones and taking pictures and stuff. Oh, jeez, man. It was hard to concentrate. That is wild. And then you also had like uh, the two-time, oh, 23-time Gold Cone Peace Award winner, uh, Jamie Brissick on there. Surf Journo par excellence. Yeah. Uncle Paul Kelly from down here. Yeah. Uh, yes, such yes, a, yeah. Like, I know it's silly, but, like, uh, have you got a combo that sticks out that, uh, you know, swellings can go and tap into as a, a good introduction to the potty? Um, yeah, what would be a good – I mean, there are some uh, some surf people in there. Connor Coffin I interviewed. Um, Jamie Brissick. Uh, just, uh, like, aside from surfing, though, a combo where you were just, like, thinking about it in bed that night just going no fucking why i can't believe that happened uh, the, the merle haggard one was really wonderful because you know it turned out that he he passed away you know within about six months or so of doing that interview mm. and um and it was it was a wild one because i had been on tour and at that time my friend davis was helping me book the podcast and i said to him like i had just gotten back from south korea or something and i said to him like dude i'm home for like a week i don't want to think about anything no interviews like just don't schedule anything for this week mm. and he comes back to me with hey merle haggard's publicist just said you could interview him but we have to drive up to bakersfield tomorrow and i was like let's go <laughs> yeah let's go <laughs> <laughs> and we went up there and not only interviewed him but hung out with him on his bus for like a couple of hours mm. um and that was like for me, for like for the for my country side of musical taste or whatever that I'm into, that's pretty much the pinnacle. Yeah. You know? Um and he and I was so nervous going into it because, you know, he's got a reputation of being kind of a hard ass, but he was so fucking unbelievably cool. He was like he had this vibe about him, almost like a proud proud grandpa like I, I don't think he knew who the Foo Fighters were necessarily but he was kind of like so you guys are doing okay huh? you selling some records that's great you know yeah um, it was great that is mental I'm gonna hunt that one out man so I mean for a country yeah. let's uh I, I want to get stuck into your musical journey just a little bit more, man, because fucking you must have been, uh, you know, if you if you were in your glam metal and, and doing all that in high school and, and that was your, your thing like Going up to San Francisco, there must have been some fucking crazy underground bands up there when you were a young fella. Well, the, the years that I lived in, so, so what happened was, you know, I grew up in Santa Barbara. I moved out uh, down to L.A. first when I was like about 18. Yeah. And I moved down there at the beginning of 1990. And, you know, you got to remember, like, we had grown up going to shows in L.A. forever. And it was all, there was a really vibrant scene like lots of different scenes actually. yeah but there was but there were all those scenes were like packed tons of people and by the time we moved there the sort of rock scene was dead and it was really the scene was just kind of over and it felt kind of like a ghost town in those years and there just wasn't a lot going on and, and that scene had kind of come and gone and 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 you 
you know, over the course of like through high school and stuff, just uh, was getting more and more into like punk rock and like you know the bad religion and all that stuff. Mm. And um, and that scene was starting to happen. And then you also had like alt rock was becoming a big thing, and Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers and all that stuff was, yeah. was all happening. And so things were just changing, and and music was changing. And I wound up living in LA for you know until about '95. And then moved up to San Francisco and almost right away joined No Use for an AM and then started touring. And that was the first time in my life that I ever, like, was kind of, like, made it, you know? Like, I was mostly making a living playing music. Mm. I'd go on tour, we'd make a couple of bucks, I'd come home, I'd have a little money in my pocket for a couple months. And then when the money ran out, I'd go get a job delivering pizzas or something. So it was like there, there was this window when I was in No Use for an AM that was really like kind of amazing. I wasn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I didn't really have any real responsibility. I didn't have any debt. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have anything. I just, you know, as long as I made my enough to cover my rent and every month I was good. And so it was this kind of beautiful period of just being really feeling like, um, for the first time ever, like I, I wasn't most of the time I didn't have to work some shitty day job. Yeah. You know? Cause I'd done that forever you know and I, I dropped out of high school and I went and got shitty jobs from a pretty young age you know um so it was it was beautiful it was wonderful and 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 that period in San Francisco like Fat Records is still based there but that's that's where Fat Records was and that whole scene was just blowing up yeah so it just really felt like a, a fun it was a good place to be it was just a good time a really happy and what were some of the bands that were just blowing your head off? You know, like, were there bands getting around that were just fucking mind-melting? Well, there, I mean, there was a bunch of stuff that I was listening to. There's the obvious stuff, you know, No Effects and, and yeah. Bad Watch, Bad Religion, all the, the bigger bands of that scene. That scene, to me, was always kind of a more of a, a scene from the suburbs. The cool thing about San Francisco is it's the it's the most sort of, it's the, it's the only, like, real city city that we have mm. on the coast out here you know like la is a big sprawling mass san diego is a big sprawling mass san francisco is a tight little city it's like feels a little more like you're on the east coast or so even though it doesn't feel like the east coast but it's just it's just more of a city and there wasn't really much of a of a fat records epitaph type punk rock scene there there were some weird arty noise bands and some shit that you'd just see and clubs and stuff but the bands right at that time that were really that i was like obsessing with were like jawbreaker was the big one mm. fucking loved jawbreaker i still love jawbreaker yeah so i was totally obsessed with jawbreaker um there were other bands like snuff that was from england you know uh put out a really really good record through um through fat records around that time called demo must be bonk mm. that is uh probably my favorite punk rock record of that era it's so good mantle um, and then there were other bands like Leatherface and stuff that I got turned turned on to, and and then just like my friends' bands like Swing and Utters, I loved. Um, I, my roommate and you know a guy that I grew up with was uh, Joey, the singer from Lagwagon. I always loved Lagwagon. Mm. Like all the bands on Fat were great, you know. Like even bands I didn't really know, like Propaganda and stuff. I didn't, never knew those guys, but they were. I liked those records a lot. I liked Good Riddance. You know, it was another band from uh, on Fat from Santa Cruz. But it wasn't so much like the day-to-day, like my day-to-day life in San Francisco wasn't really like hanging out with all those bands or mm. even seeing them, except when they would come through town. It was more like hanging out with the folks that worked at Fat Records and um, and Joey and and, uh, and some of the sort of just the people around that, yeah. that scene. And it was more like hanging out in bars and 
you know, going to people's apartments and getting drunk and, you know, just that kind of, it was just fun. Yeah, man. And, and, and then, in the park and, you know, oh, fucking the, the night takes you. glory days, bro. Glory days. What's, uh, mm-hmm. but then, you know, you go from like having a bit of spare change in your pocket to, to getting the gig with Foo Fighters. Like how quickly and how radically did your life change? Cause fucking they were pretty well established by the time you got in there in terms of like, what was it? Three records in or something? I, I joined for the, for the third record tour. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I didn't play on that record, but I toured it and it was, it was seriously as crazy as this. Like we were, we had just made a new No Use for Name record. We were about to go on tour the audition came up for the Foo Fighters. I went and did that. Wound up getting the gig. Um, we they that was like a Sunday that they told me I got the gig. I started rehearsals with them the next day. We did a gig at the end of that week, um, just kind of a unannounced, just to get a gig under under my feet kind of gig uh, at the Troubadour. They made a video that weekend, and I drove home to San Francisco and packed my bags. Um, and I remember when I, like, seriously on the phone call and did call me and tell me that I got the gig. Pack your bags, and are you ready to say goodbye to your friends for, like, a year? I was like, oh, totally, <laughs> let's go. Um, and so I literally I just went home and, and packed my bags and drove back down to L.A., and um, <clears throat> and we left for tour, like, the that the day after. I think, yeah, like, that Monday. I mean, it was just bam, 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 and... And right into it, and then we were off uh, cruising around the world. And uh, like we went back east, then we went to Europe, and then we flew down to Australia. And that was the first time I ever set foot in Australia. Mm. And we were down there doing a bunch of promo and doing some gigs. And I remember we went to some crazy festival with like the Offspring headline, um, and just had a just a wingding of a time. We stayed over in Bondi, and that was like. Like Bondi wasn't quite as like uh, shishi as it is. Nah, now, you know? oh, Scum Valley, um, mate. With uh, Smithy would have been out front, probably getting punched out by uh, fucking schizo locals back around then. <laughs> I exactly like you know like backpackers throwing up in the bushes, kind of kind of vibe. Yeah, uh, but it was just great, man. My head was spinning, but I mean, it was like total dream come true moment. You know, fucking mad, man. I just can't even. I mean, fuck. Yeah, look. I've had my moments with the goons, but nothing like, you know, walking out in front of like a football stadium, you know, full of people who know every word to every song. I mean, is there any sort of, I don't know, anything similar in that feeling of walking out and just locking in to like a really good surf or something like that? I don't know. It's a stupid question, but fucking, is there something there that, that hits the same sort of mark for you emotionally? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's, you know, those big gigs are uh, really just an energy of their own and, it's it's funny like if i was in a different role in the band that i was unaccustomed to i think it would scare the hell out of you but i don't really get nervous for them it's just a rush Mm. you know and it's especially when you first that first moment that you walk out and the crowd's going nuts and we haven't really even like played you know we haven't even played a song yet people are just freaking out and losing it and it's just like that rush is really I don't know, man. That's that's what it's all about. Like, I I wish I was a good enough surfer to feel that on a wave. It's a different feeling, you know what I mean? Like, I get a rush in, in, in on, a, on a wave too, but it's, it's totally different. Um, it's <laughs> yeah, it's hard to it's hard to compare it to any. There's nothing else in my life that feels like that. Yeah, it really is like a jet engine blowing in your face. You know? Fuck, that's a good description, man. That's real good. Yeah, I'd imagine that's what pipeline feels like when it's spewing and hurling its guts all over you after you've just fucking 
dreaded one. But um, yeah, I'll have to just imagine both of those things because I can't see the goons filling any uh, stadiums in the near future. Well, you never know. You know, it's funny, man. I remember I was in um, I was on the North Shore a few years ago, and it was at the same time that the contest was happening, the pipe mm. contest. Um, and the waves were pretty good, but it was like. Um, I was walking around uh, over there, and my friend, you probably know Derek O'Neill. Yeah. That used to be a Billabong yep. back in the day, and then you know, he's at Bissla now, and, and he was over there. I think he was still at Billabong at that point. He was at the Billabong house. And I remember I went over and said hi, and we're like talking and stuff. And, and like, it wasn't good enough for them to run the contest, but it was like still pretty big for, by my measure. Mm. And I remember him going, like, like, Hey man, you want to grab a board and head out there? You can say you got a wave a pipe, and I just said, "Yeah, no, I'm cool. I think uh, I'm gonna go get a poke bowl or something. I'll, maybe I'll come back later." Probably a good call, man. Fuck, it's a uh, it's yeah. a scary place to surf, even when it's three foot. I mean, I, I paddled out there uh, recently, oh, a couple of years ago now, actually, but um, yeah, I, I you know the amount of energy it took just to to wax up to get through the shore to paddle out and I'm sitting out there just going, fuck yeah, you know, uh, ramping myself up because it had been a few years since I'd surfed, I'd gotten a bit older. And uh, next thing, this pregnant woman paddles past and then like a nine-year-old paddled past and I was just going, what the fuck? just absolutely murdered the uh, the sense of occasion that I was having out there with myself. But uh, no, it was pretty classy. I've had that, that ex- I remember having that exact same feeling at Honolulu Bay years ago and I paddle out there I don't really even know where to sit, you know, and I'm just kind of figuring it out. And, and again, it was one of those days it felt kind of big to me, you know, but like, you know, I'm from California, so what do I know? But, um, but yeah, and I'm kind of having that internal dialogue of like, where should I be? And I don't want to fucking blow it. And I, you know, I don't want to make the locals mad at me. And then like, right as I'm kind of like having that inner, inner conversation, like a teenage girl on like a, you know, pink fun board paddles by yeah. and giggling. Oh. Like, oh my god, I'm such a pussy. God, uh, it's it's diminishing, <laughs> isn't it? It's heavy. Hey, um, so like, I just uh, one last thing, um, before we get into the the country music, is like when you're on tour with the Foo Fighters, uh, particularly in Australia, do you get to uh, sort of get out into um into the city or or I don't know into like little pockets where there's uh, music scenes and check out new bands and, and sort of the scene in each country? Because, fuck, Australia's got some good shit going on at the moment. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I'll be honest, on, on off nights, I'm not doing a lot of clubbing these days, mm. you know? I probably did maybe a little more of that when I was when I was younger. Um, but I, I wind up getting turned on to, to new bands a lot of time by the... Um, my bands that are playing with us, even like you know, like my I'm I'm pretty good friends with uh, with Monty from Delta Riggs, yeah, and I got to know him from them. You know, they came on tour with us down there, mm. and then we just you know struck up a friendship and 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 uh, and you know stay in contact over the years. So um, yeah, I don't I don't go to a lot of shows per se, but I'm more like you know like on off days I'm. I'm probably like running around. I, I like to be a good tourist and go see the sights and, and see where wherever we are and get some of the local flavor. And yeah, man. Get a good meal and and then you know tuck up into tuck up into bed by a reasonable hour with a good book. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's the rock and roll life we all we all uh, none of us hear about. I know. Yeah, you should, we should edit that out. <laughs> whiskey and cocaine every night. Bro. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. 
Uh, so, all right. Well, look, country's been a big part of your journey, um, you know, from right back. But, like, what was it that got you sort of like going, all right, fuck, you know, I'm, go- I'm going beyond the music. I want to start making this stuff. Yeah, it had been something that I'd listened to for for years and had never played. Who who are you go to country artists? Like who were who were your introduction sort of like you know storytellers where you were like, yeah, this is it. Well, there's it's sort of a couple ways. There's the you know if you go way back, you know, I grew up listening to the Stones. The Stones certainly weren't a country band, but they had some country leanings, you know, especially really? in like that the era when they're hanging out with Grant Parsons and, and all that. So there's that. You know, I loved rockabilly, which is pretty closely related i love old elvis and eddie cochran and gene benton and all that stuff that again it's not country but it's pretty similar in a lot of ways um so i think that all kind of like prepped me for it and you know i liked like you know patsy klein and johnny cash and shit like that but Mm -hmm. i wasn't like into it into it and then at a certain point i got into all the alt country stuff and that was really the the introduction that got me going on that um and so through that then just that kind of led me to some of the older country stuff like Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and um, and just all the old honky-tonk, like 50s, 60s, 70s era of, of, uh, of country music I love. Um, and, and there was a point there where, you know, I just listened to it all the time, so it just started to come out in my songwriting, I think. And I wanted to explore some stuff that was more acoustic-based, and I made a record... It isn't a country record, but it's kind of more, you know, Americana flavored. There's a bunch of like pedal steel, and there's some stuff that just kind of twangier guitars and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. And and that was really interesting. That was that sort of set me off on that path. And then I made another record that was just old honky tonk covers, and that like got me deeper into it. Um, and trying to just doing that thing after being like a rock guitarist and punk rock guitarist and all that for so long and being so comfortable with big, crunchy, distorted guitar tones and all that stuff. It was a real mind fuck to, to then try to, um, you know, just be playing like a Telecaster through a a deluxe or whatever. And Mm. very, it's like a very unforgiving tone, um, and really different and just trying to wrap my head around that really like it kind of took a while. Like now I love that tone. I love playing with that tone. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but it took a minute to get used to it. And then I made a, a solo record out in Nashville. That was another big step. Um, a record called West coast town, um, that Dave Cobb produced. And then I went back and did another record with Dave, uh, called hard lessons. And then I just made, I've, I've actually got like, like these songs that are coming out now, I've got that song "Long, Long Year" that um, that I don't even think I send you. I gotta send you that song. Yeah, man. That comes out soon. Comes yeah. out on the 29th, and then I got another one coming out on in September. And those two songs I recorded with this producer out in out in Nashville named uh, Vance Powell. And then I also, at the same time, I just made a whole like a whole full length record with my friend Jaron from Cadillac Three producing that I also made out mm. in Nashville. Yeah, Nashville's a long way from the beach, man. But I mean, it's—I guess it's only a thirteen-hour drive to the Waco wave pool in Texas. So if you really get desperate, you can yeah. you can pack the car and uh, get down no, there. I'm not. I'm not I'm, I have no plans to relocate. So until they put like a Kelly Slater wave pool, in, yeah, in Nashville, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to do it. But um, but yeah, just little by little, I think like this new thing that I made is really like it's the most like sort of combination of of a lot of different sounds. I certainly. 
not a country record per se, but some of the stuff is the countryest shit that I've ever mm. recorded. And some of it almost sounds like The Clash, and some of it sounds like, you know, I don't know, just kind of rock. And there's a lot of different different things in there. But I, I think that's going to start coming out later in the year. Yeah, man. Look, I, I, like, without having heard the song, um, long, long year, the, the immediate reaction I get to the title is one, a heartbreak. And... um. I don't know. I, I, on, on behalf of the Swellians, who are fans of the Foo Fighters, I just want to say how sorry we are for you know the loss of your bandmate and friend in Taylor. And um, yeah. I guess the outpouring of shock and disbelief all over the world was huge. But um, I think everyone's thoughts were instantly with his family and friends and you guys. Um, sure. Yeah, man. I mean, is is that healing journey going okay for you? You know, it's just so. It's really hard, man. It's um. It's. It just it, grief is a weird thing. It hits you in in different times. You know, you there's the initial shock when when it happens, and then and then you're home and you're kind of living your life, and then all day long things just remind you, mm. and it just hits you all over. And it's just a, it's a really fucked up feeling. So I don't know. It's all it's 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 so surreal, and I I don't think I can have really wrapped my head around. The reality that he's not going to walk through the door at rehearsal, yeah. you know? Just, yep. um, I don't know. I don't know when that's going to settle in, but it, it hasn't yet. So, yeah, it's just, it just, there's no other way to say it. it just fucking sucks. There's just no, there's no silver lining. It just sucks. Nah. Um, look, man, I mean, as far as you guys as a group and, and friends go, I'm sure that, you know, at some stage you'll, you'll get together if you haven't already and, and sort of talk about, how to navigate moving forward but has this sort of uh has this journey into the country music and being able to write these songs that's got to play some role in like being cathartic and and healing yeah you know it's well it's interesting with these songs like i wrote these songs during the lockdown right in 2020 so you know when 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 the lockdown kicked in and all our tour plans uh got canceled and everything, you know, I was just home like everybody else and just wound up writing a bunch of songs and, and, and making a bunch of demos and stuff. So, and then I went out and recorded them in a little over a year ago, like the spring of 2021. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I actually had these songs, uh, in the pipeline slated to come out a little earlier. You know, I think the first one was going to come out in April, but but when Taylor died, you know, I just didn't feel like it, it just didn't feel right to, to be putting music out mm. and be doing interviews and all that shit. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I just felt like, let's just put things on pause. So, um, so yeah, you know, like music is, is and playing guitar and playing music is always a, um, you know, a, a release and a yeah. way to work through things. Um, I, to be perfectly honest, I, I haven't picked up my guitar much for the past few months. I've just been kind of like, no, oh, I don't just going to the beach and, and hanging with my family and my kids and and, um, and 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 just doing that. I don't know. Mm. And we've we've got these we've got these uh, tribute shows coming up in September. We're going to start getting ready for that pretty soon. So you know, we'll jump back in. But um, yeah, man. But yeah, it's it's a it's a it's. A, I mean, you know. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to even describe what you feel from moment to moment. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Look, um, yeah. getting back to, you know, your life now, where you're at with music, where you're at with surfing, 
Yeah, how are you feeling about it all? I mean, uh, you say you haven't picked up a guitar, but, yeah. but is it starting to sort of come back into your fingers and into your soul? Well, it's, it's interesting because the way that, that, like, the full length that I made, you know, I would, over the last, uh, throughout 2021, I would fly out to Nashville, you know, here and there. I went out a few times and we would record, you know, two songs and the three songs and the, another couple songs, you know, and we just kind of chipped away at it. And, um, and it was an interesting way to make a record. And unlike any other record I've ever made where, uh, I w- we would record all the basic tracks and like the vocals and stuff. And then I'd take that and go home and it, at our studio in LA, I would like overdub guitars and, you know, re-sing a couple things and change some stuff and kind of sit with it for a while. You know, normally when you make a record, you kind of just bang it out. And, um, and this was, was, was kind of a nice way to make it because, um, even though like there would be times when I would, like just have to put it on on the back burner because we'd be busy touring or doing other things. Then I would get to live with it and and sort of reassess things and really get comfortable with things. There's like a couple of these songs. I think I was driving Jaron nuts because I would like redo the guitar solos over and over and over again. Like no, I want to do it like this instead and send it out there. Um, but uh, so it's it's interesting. Like we he got busy with Cadillac Three and I got busy with Foos and and you know we're he lives in Nashville and I live in, in LA. So it took a minute to get it done. Mm. But, um, just getting the final mixes a couple weeks ago, it just really like, I don't know, felt really good to hear it as a whole and to hear it finished and to hear everything right where you want it to be. And it really did feel good. Like it does make me look forward to at some point doing some, some gigs and, and, and getting out on the road and with that thing. And, um, so it, it is fun. I mean, Music never stops for me, you know. Uh, it, it, you have these ebbs and flows, and sometimes when you don't feel motivated, you feel like you're kind of stagnating. It's like you kind of just have to play through those moments. And um, and even though I said like you know I don't I haven't picked up my, my guitar much lately, like you're still kind of in it, you know. And I'm still strumming my acoustics sitting on my couch. I don't know, you know. It's it never it's when you when you do like we've all, we've been lucky enough that we've gotten to do this for a long time so it's like I, I can't pretend that I have the same outlook as I did when I was 16 and it was all a mystery you know of course that's different of course it evolves but it's still like the thing that brings me outside of my my family it's the thing that brings me the greatest joy mm. too you know oh man that's exactly like surfing for me like I, I I have periods where just the idea of going for a surf feels a bit like Oh, um, but, um, you know, uh, it only takes a a good wave or or a little moment to just reconnect and all of a sudden you're off on your way with new ideas and and a fresh energy. And, um, yeah, I think that that, that's what's going to happen. It's funny. Surfing is so easy to get disconnected from, you know, especially if you're traveling a lot. Like, it's so easy to, like, you miss a couple of swells because you're out of town and all of a sudden it's, like, been been a minute since you've been in the water and that. Why is that? That it gets like hard. you have to like almost like force yourself to go, and then as soon as you go, you're like, oh my god, I fucking love. This yeah, <laughs> exactly, mate. And, and like, what just is wrong with me? yeah, just with surfing. I mean, um, when we spoke the other day, you were saying that you're on the free scrubber, which I think last time we spoke was around the time that that film came out. And uh, yeah. yeah, man, like fuck, they're good little boards. That'll get you. That'll get you pumped up. I I'm not joking. I just dropped that off at my ding repair guy today this morning. I put a big chunk in the uh, in the in the tail, sadly, 
badly. And I was really trying to not ding. I ding my boards up a lot. And if I don't ding them up, my kids ding them up. Yeah. So I was really being super careful. Like when I'd be like walking through the gate of my house, like don't smash the nose into the gate and don't fucking throw it in the back of my truck. And, you know, like I was really being careful with it. And then we were up camping at Halama and, and it was pretty fun up there. And I got back from that and I pulled it out of its bag and I it just, I didn't even realize it at the time, but I put a huge ding in the, in the tail. So I just dropped that off. But that's been my like magic board that I've been obsessed with. And it's, it's great. I mean, I'm going to, I'm not gonna lie. I bought it because it, because it's called the free scrubber and I love your movie so much. Ah, jeez, um, man. I love Tom Curran. And I didn't even really, and I was like, oh, this looks like a fun board, you know, but it's the fucking free scrubber. I'm buying this. No, it's, it's actually That's mad. fucking amazing. It's like the perfect board for my, for my, uh, I don't know, for my ability level or something. It's amazing. Man, it's a Santa Barbara born and bred board made famous by a Santa Barbara's most famous surfer and fucking, it all, it's all in sync, man. Okay, tell, now I'm going to turn this around on you yeah. and ask you a question here. Were you down there with Curran uh, during that? Like, were you down there filming it and like, like putting it together? Nah, man, no. Nah, that was um, that happened in COVID. He he got kind of I don't know if he got stuck down there or he went down there during it or whatever. But it was it was full on. They had the police sort of like you know trying to keep people off the beaches, and he was just sneaking out and doing all this. And he was trapped down there with a guy called Bugs Arico, I think his name is, and um an Aussie filmer called Andy Potts. And they just, mm. they just when they finally got home, were sitting on all this footage and they sent it to uh, Rip Curl, I think. Um, but that was the whole plan was to do a surfboard trip for Channel Islands. And so, um, yeah, the early free scrubbers were down there as these little test models and they finally released them. And, uh, yeah, the film, though, just was basically, I, I was just going through, I don't know, maybe far out 12 or more hours of just raw footage and i honestly felt like you could have just whacked it up and just had a 12-hour youtube clip of the whole thing it was incredible just how fruity and eccentric and genius karen was being down there it was just amazing man it's it's so amazing to me that like like um and i don't know what like how do you rate the success of a of a surf edit these days with you know since you're not like selling dvds or whatever but Mm. like um it was so wild to me when that came out that that uh, that like everybody I knew was talking about it. Yeah, it's fucking Tom Curran. You know what I mean? Like it, it his age. That's like unprecedented. It's gotta be. Oh man, it's just such good surfing, eh? Like that that sort of surfing just is timeless. And uh, but yeah. more than that, like I mean. It, I feel like Tom's always been this mythical creature who, like you know, is is kind of almost put on a pedestal and is a little bit almost like you can't touch him because he's so uh he's just been put up in almost a, a religious sort of context but here he was yeah. just hanging out in his board he's just fruit caking to the you know fucking next level i was just like this is amazing and i felt like it was a, a pretty nice opportunity to showcase a bit of real time how did you get um how did you get involved with with that project then? through rip curl I've, I've been making search movies for a pretty long time and they just thought like, yeah. let's just give him the keys to this one and see what happens. But it was cool, man. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was really cool. But good news, like, they're going to, um, to help promote the channel, the free scrubber. Channel Island's Rip Curl are going to bring out these sort of B clips, these lost reels, over the next um, two months, I think. So I want to use one of his songs on one of them. Bitchin'. 
What do you reckon? Yeah. No, you 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 get whatever you need. All right. Well, um, send us the link, man, and uh, honored. That'd be amazing. Ah, oh, that'd be sick. Ah, oh, well, that'd be the uh, the closing of the circle. Santa Barbara music nice. on top of uh, via Nashville on top of the uh, the free scrubber surfboard with Karen. Tell tell Tom Curran all I need in exchange for that is I need him to um, paddle block for me at Rincon and teach me, uh, you know, I don't know how to do a better bottom turn or something. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> Shifty, mate, what a pleasure to talk to you, buddy. So good to catch up. Yeah, it was great. Let's have um. Let, I, I don't know when you'll be coming back down or whatever, but mate, we got to surf. That'd be magic. For sure. Does Ozzy still live in that? Do you remember when me and you and Hans went and surfed the beach out in front of his place? Yeah, man. That I was. I don't remember it. where it was. It was like up in like the northern beaches somewhere. Bungin. Bung and board riders represent. Yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty fun. But uh, we're all living up Byron Way now, so. You'll have to come and surf the points, bro. Yeah, 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 I'm in. Yeah, just get me a, uh, get me one of those shark breaks and we'll go uh, we'll go surf Byron.